Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now, and uh, we're going to read from 2 Kings chapter 6, from verse 8 to 17. So if you've got your Bibles there, have them open, or it'll be on the screen behind me. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 to 17. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hill full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Morning, everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. You might see our New Year's resolution in the office is we wear the same uniform now, so Ben and I match our clothes. If you didn't notice, that's great. Probably shouldn't have pointed that out. But it is uh, exciting to be here. As Ben said, start of a new year, start of good things to come, and we want to commit our time to God now to just help us to move into another year with confidence. So please pray with me. Dear Father God, we just thank you that we can come here this morning as a church family to draw near to you, to draw near to your word, that your spirit might speak to us through it, so that we might know you better, that this might be a start of a journey for the year ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One uh, TV show that really turns me off, I don't know what to do with, is The Deadliest Catch. I don't know, I'm sure whether you've seen it, but a bunch of uh, seamen go out to catch crabs in the deep ocean and I love the scenes where they just get tossed around in the storms. I love it and hate it at the same time because these waves come crashing over, not just over the edge but over the sailors so they're drenched, wet and cold. It's like little toys tossed around on a little board because these are not little ships out in the deep ocean going through storms, they're big ships. And the men just get tossed around from side to side as the ship rolls and throws them against the side. And it's not as if if they go off the edge, they can just swim to land. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in the ocean, the deep ocean. If they go off the side, it is the end. It's like it's horrific. You could not pay me enough money to do that job. I love watching it, but I love, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be that person. But as we reflect on 2022, last year, 
And if we're looking for a metaphor for what the year was like, maybe it's like the deadliest catch, being on one of those ships. As the waves come crashing in, we're just trying to hold our feet. The big wave comes and, oh no, it's COVID and the wave of sickness comes and hits us. And then all of a sudden another wave comes, oh no, it's our finances. Look how big the interest rates are going. Look how high the lettuce price is going. Remember that during the year all that was happening? Or, oh no, there's family issues around me. Another wave comes crashing in. There's other dark clouds of the storm of our mental health going, I don't know whether I can do this any longer. As we get tossed around from side to side, we hit the edge and we look over into the deep blue ocean. We're going, how long is this going to last? How is this going to keep going? How am I going to keep going? And we try and find our feet again. Because sometimes, as we, particularly as we look into a new year, it feels like we just want to find our feet. We feel like we're very vulnerable, this little ship in a big ocean just being tossed around. There's so many things out of, out of our control, but we just got to hang in there. That's what it feels like sometimes. The storms of life are big. Now, 2022 has gone. That storm has passed. And take a breath. And what are we going to do in 2023? A lot of us think about goals or ambitions that we want to do in 2023. And I've heard it said from a number of people, well, we know at least it's not going to be any worse than last year. This year's got to be better. But is it? What's going to make 2023 better than last year? What are you going to do differently? What's going to be different? There's so much out of our control and we've learnt just how vulnerable we are. So what's going to be different this year for you? There's something to be learnt about how to do life in the middle of a storm through this little story in the Old Testament that we had read for us. It's one of my favourite Old Testament stories and there's one particular character that we can learn so much from. It only lasts a few verses. I'll explain it when we get to it if you didn't pick it up. But I think there's something in his life that we can all associate with and something we can learn from about the trials of life and going through storms. It's from 2 Kings chapter 6. So this is about, uh, so it's an Old Testament. It's about 850 years before Jesus for Israel. And we picked up the story, picking it up in verse 8. Now there's a couple of things going on here. Israel is a nation at that time and they're a small nation. They're not that powerful, not that strong, but Assyria, they're the powerhouse at the time in the world and they're coming down. They're just rolling country after country. They're just consuming them. The thing about the Assyrians, they're really big, really strong army. They're really aggressive. They will capture nations and turn them into slaves for them. You don't want to be captured by the Assyrians. They're bad guys. Now, the people we meet here is the king of Aram. Aram's just a place, it's a part of Assyria, and he's been given the job to lead his army to invade Israel. And basically, God is just playing with him. Doesn't matter how big the Assyrians are, God's just having a bit of fun with him because he goes to set his army to go into Israel and God gives a message then to a guy called Elisha. He's a prophet. A prophet just means he's God's messenger. So God will speak to the prophet and the prophet will tell the people what God's saying. So God knows that the Assyrian king's coming from this direction 
tells Elisha. Elisha goes to tell the king, hey, they're coming from this direction today. So the king of Israel can send his army and head them off. And it's really frustrating for the king, the king of Aram. He's just like, we're trying to attack these guys. We're bigger, we're stronger, but we just can't do it. And then we sort of zone in in the following verses into like a little meeting that the king has with his officials into the war room you might say and he vents he says go and find uh, he says where is this elijah guy because uh somebody's telling the king of israel obviously what's going on and he first of all looks at his officials and eyeballs each of the officials. So which one of you are telling the Israelite king of what's happening here? Because he thinks there's a traitor in the room. Because how can people know our plans? We've spent a lot of time on strategy and then they all know our plans. What is going on? And one of the officials says, well, it's this guy, Elisha. This guy, Elisha. He's the one that's been telling. He actually knows, says, um, I, I just love the answer, it's Elisha the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. It's like he knows everything. We're not sure how, but he knows everything. Even what you do in your bedroom, which is a little bit creepy. I'm not sure what you think about that, but I'm not sure whether it's worth for the king, he'd be scared, or Elisha, who hears everything. But it's, he knows everything. And if you want to stir up the king about he knows your strategy, he also knows what you do in the bedroom. This enrages the king even more. So he's go find out where he is, the king ordered. So I can send men to capture him and not just a handful of men. I just don't want to go and just do it lightly. No, no, I'm going to send uh, chariots and horses. I'm going to send a strong force there. I'm going to send a small army in to get this guy. We're going to deal with this. This is serious. He's so enraged. Let's send the army to the going by night and surround the city. Now, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, which was written, um, there's no real distinction between village, town and city. They kind of use the same words. So the way other bits of Elisha is described is probably in a small town or a village, more in the country. So let's surround this, this village uh, and get this guy. Now... This is a bit scary, right? Things are starting to heat up. Things are starting to be serious because they're going in just to get this one guy, this hit-and-run type mission. Now, something we need to know, something we need to be aware about how Elisha lives. So Elisha, yes, is a prophet, man of God. He also has a servant with him. Now, that's not uncommon. Men of God often have like a young man to live with him, to be his servant, but also like a leader in training type thing. So the job of the servant is to look after the master, Elisha. So you can imagine Elisha's still in bed one morning and the servant would get up with a sunrise, probably get his jug, go out to the, the well in the village, get some water to put the kettle on for a cup of tea for his master. So he's got to be up early running the house. But this is what happens for this servant. When the servant of the man got up, and went out early the next morning. Imagine, sun up. What sort of day are we going to have today? But when he went out in the morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Can you imagine that? 
to walk out. You know, some mornings you get up early and you see the sunrise and you just go, it's a beautiful day. I've just got a good feeling about this day. This is going to be a good day. But then there's other days where you go, oh, look, I'm just not feeling it today. I don't think this is going to go so well today. I feel like it's not my day today. Well, for the servant boy, he goes out, sees an army. You can imagine, like, we... we heard uh, when Russia first invaded Ukraine, the Russian army would go and line up their tanks and soldiers and surround towns. They would circle the towns. There's no escape. The enemy is all around. We heard that that's happened. But this time, it's like they go outside, there's an army, there's horses, soldiers, there's chariots, but all their weapons are not just pointed into the city or the village, it's pointed to one house. Elisha's house. We're here to get you. This is not going to be a good day. It's not going to go well. But I think when we go into that feeling of I'm surrounded by the enemy, there is no escape. How's this going to work out? I actually think a lot of us had that feeling last year in 2022. You know, as we did life together, as a church together, heard all sorts of stories how some people felt like they were surrounded by their enemies. Uh, some people shared stories about in their workplace how their work, people they work with are just being so unreasonable, unhelpful, almost like they're out to get them and to bring them down. And it's the frustration of that. Sometimes it was family issues of just, you know, everywhere you look, there's grenades going off all around you and, and you're just the innocent victim in the middle, but all this drama just getting, getting you drawn into it, that there's no escape from that. Or sometimes it is the, the mental health of just feeling like there is no escape. It's a dark place, just wondering, I don't know whether there is an escape route. I don't know whether I can get out of this. I don't think I want to be here. We can have that feeling where the enemies circled all around us and it's just, where do I go from here? Because it's not looking good. This is crisis. It's crisis. And I think some of us know how this guy might be feeling. So what's he going to do? He goes inside. Oh no, my Lord. What shall we do? The servant asked. Because he's panic what are we going to do this is the end he's probably thinking about Elisha I knew you shouldn't have been dealing with that stuff I knew you shouldn't have been passing secrets on to the king I knew you shouldn't get involved in politics I knew this would get back to us and look where we are now we're going to get it we're going to get it this is bad what are you going to do Elijah what are we going to do what are we going to do so Elisha probably run, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, just waking up, looks out the window. And he says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He says, it's more for us than against us. You know, if you're the servant, you kind of go and hang on a minute. Are we seeing the same thing? Because I'm looking here in this house and there's me, that's one, it's you, that's two. And I'm looking outside and there's a whole army with horses and chariots. This, the odds here aren't good. If you're the servant, you're looking at this in a logical way, going, we're, we're in crisis. This is bad. But there's something the servant boy can't see. 
And this is what Elisha prays for. Elisha prays for him. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, often when things are heavenly, they've got fire on them. These are from God. This is God's heavenly army that's come around. This is massive. Now, now the servant can see. The servant wasn't blind before, but he could see the army. He could see the crisis and the drama. By having his eyes open, he could see how God is at work here, how God is bigger than his enemies, how God is never outnumbered by his enemies, how God is faithful to them, and there is a way out, and God is in control. Even though the Assyrian army is about to catch them, God is in control. He can see that now, now that he can see God's army that's there. Now, I need to take a little detour about what's going on here. Is this some sort of dream that he's having? Some sort of special vision? Or Now, is there really a heavenly army like that? Because the other parts of the Bible actually talk about the angels being, watching over us and looking after us, caring for us. There's, uh, it's recorded for us when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested and be, be crucified ultimately, put on trial and killed. But in that, uh, when the soldiers come to arrest him, Peter, one of the disciples, comes up and thinks that he's the one who's got to save Jesus. Jesus is going to be taken and killed. We can't let that happen. He's looking at the crisis. The soldier's coming. This is bad. Pulls out his sword and goes to take on all the soldiers. And Jesus says to him, look, put your, put your sword away. This is in Matthew 26. And Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12,000 angels? Do you think I need you to protect me, is what he's saying. I've got 12,000 angels. I can just call on like that. But a handful of soldiers? Not stand a chance. I don't need you, Peter, to sort out this crisis. But Jesus doesn't use it because he's got a bigger mission. He's on a bigger journey to go to the cross, to pay the debt, to, to uh, redeem his people. But see, Peter, with his human eyes, thinking logically, there's an enemy, there's crisis. How do we deal with this? I pull out my sword. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. God's got a bigger plan, a better plan. Even though he's got 12,000 angels on call if he wanted to. That's amazing, isn't it? That... God is watching over us, not just God who's far off, but his angels are watching over us all the time. They're watching over us, not letting us out of their sight. Now, there's stuff going on in the heavenly realms that we can't see. And we can be like a servant, and like Peter, who just can see our immediate problems looking around us. And we can even think in those times that God doesn't care for us because how did I get into this mess in the first place? If God cared for me, why am I here at all? But in times like that, we need to allow God to open our eyes. We need to ask that question about what shall we do and to pray to God, 
that we might see him because what we'll find is God hasn't left us. It's actually the opposite. God cares for us more than ever before, him and the angels around him. That God has surrounded us with his angels and he's just waiting us to pray, to ask him, Lord, open my eyes, Help, help me to see you in this. Help me to see your protection. Help me to see your love that you haven't abandoned me. But you are in control. You are always bigger than my enemies. Help me to see that, Lord. Sometimes we need to pray. Now, when the servant can see this, all of a sudden there's calmness in the room. It's like, oh, man, now I can see God's chariots, God's horses, God's armies there. All of a sudden, the servant can breathe again. Everything's going to be okay. But did you notice, nothing has changed at this point. Nothing has changed. The Assyrian army is still outside. In fact, the next verse, we're going to hear about the Assyrian army closing in on them. The situation is the same. God doesn't make the enemy disappear. So he doesn't actually fix the problem there and then, which is sometimes what we want him to do, that we get frustrated at God. God, I I am surrounded. I am in crisis. I can't get out of this. Where am I to go? Help me see. But fix my problem. Just help it go away. Make it go away. But just knowing God is bigger than our enemies, knowing God is always in control, gives a sense of relief. I can breathe in the middle of the storm. I can breathe in the middle of the crisis. Sometimes we have to say, Lord, what can we do? But we need to pray, Lord, help me see you. Help me see that you're in control. Help me see that you're bigger than my enemies. We just need to see God. This is what happened to the servant boy. The enemy's still outside, but he can now breathe relief because he knows God is bigger. But how's this going to be resolved? What is going to happen to the enemy? What happens to the servant boy and Elisha? Are they going to be killed in the end? Or what happens to the army? So I know if I'm the servant boy, I want to be saying, God, get rid of the army. Just deal with them. Just send those horses and chariots of fire down on them. Just crush them, Lord. Just let it be a bloodbath. My enemy needs to go. Because they're out to kill me or take me as a slave. Get rid of them, God. But how does God resolve this? What does God do? See, what we're doing is we hope that God wipes out our enemies. But how does this story play out? It's a few verses, I'll give you the summary. The enemy comes down towards them. And Elijah, who just prayed for his servant to, to be able to see God, uh, God's army, now prays for blindness on the enemy. So the enemies come in, the armies come in, gathered around the house. Elijah asks God to blind them. It does blind them. Then he says, look, you come to the wrong place. You don't want me. You want the king of Israel. Let me take you to the king's place. So he takes them to Samaria. And I'm imagining this as uh, if it's the king's palace with his army there. Elisha leads this blind army, the Assyrian army, into the palace grounds. And then the army surrounds. So the king's there sitting up on his balcony looking at the enemy, the Assyrians, who do want to kill them and wipe them out, the armies around going, we've got an opportunity now to take these guys out. If I'm the servant boy who's followed them along, I'm going, now's the time, God, the army's going to come in and let's take them out. So they've all gathered around, but after they enter the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. 
the Lord, opened their eyes, and there they were inside the city, city walls in Samaria. You can imagine, even the Syrians are thinking, this is the end. We are surrounded, we're gone. Everybody wants to kill them, even we're told the king of Israel saw them and asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? My father, out of respect. Shall I kill them twice? Now, can we do this? Can we finish this job off? The enemy, gone. They won't come back anymore if we kill them now. Sounds like a good solution, right? But what does Elisha do, the man of God? He says, don't kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who have, you've captured with your own sword or bow? How about we set food and water before... Let's set a feast. Let's have a feast together, a banquet. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after, so Can you imagine this? They're your enemy and now you're sitting down with them, sharing food together... And then they have a good feed, all feeling good, and they return to their master. And so from then on, the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Problem fixed. This is so God, isn't it? How God deals with things. How God's plan is always better than our plans. God's won them over. Takes his enemies and makes them friends. This is so what God does. We need to trust God's plans. God's plans are so much better than ours. He is bigger than our enemies, bigger than our problems. He can resolve them in ways better than we can. It's just seeing him and trusting him through that. There's a whole lot of things that we need to think about going into 2023 and what could be ahead of us because there's so many things that are out of our control. There's no way I can stand here and promise you, if you're a Christian, life will be so much better, you won't have any problems. Can't say that. I can't even say, oh, pray like Elisha prayed and all your problems will go away. I can't say that either. But I can say and I can promise that God is always bigger than your problems. God is always faithful and he's always there when you're going through the storm. God never lets you go. And it's a good prayer for us to ask God in those times, Lord, what can we do? Help me to see you. Help me to see you. Now, it would be great if God helped us to see him like the servant boy, that we see the big army and see the chariots of fire. That would be awesome. That's probably not going to happen. But we can see God at work in other ways when we dive into his word, into stories like this, that we can see God at work. And we can see God at work in our lives. That we can see God at work through the people around us. The way his Holy Spirit works with us as a church. That we're doing life together. That we learn from each other. We serve each other. We help each other. That's God's people gathering around us. We can see God at work to know that he's always bigger than our problems. And we can always trust him. So here's something I've been thinking about, a prayer for me, and I want to be a prayer for you too, that by the end of 2023, what are some of our goals? Well, by the end of 2023, that we might see God more clearly. That would be a good prayer. That we would be able to know his love more than ever before. To know he doesn't abandon us. To know when our problems have come, they will go, but God is always there for us that we might see that 
and know that and be comforted by that. It's a bold prayer. It's a very bold prayer because in some ways, some of us need, you might say, a bit of a crisis. We might need a storm to actually wake us up because we are in our slumber. We are very comfortable. We don't need to see God or look for God because life's going good. I don't need to worry about that. I've got everything under control. And we actually need a bit of a storm to come in. We need our enemies to shake us up, to go, no, no, God's actually looking for our attention. God's, off, off, God's looking for us to, to search for him, to ask him, to know that we need him. To pray a prayer that says that we might see God more clearly might mean we see him through the storm. That's bold for some of us who are just cruising through life, a sleepy Christian, to be bold, say, God, what, what does it take for me to see you clearly? But for others of us here, we're actually in the middle of the storm now. That we actually go, oh man, I hope, I hope I'm not going to get 12 months of this. But to know that even in the middle of a storm, even though we feel like we're surrounded and there's no way out, to know that God is there. God's saying, just come to me, talk to me, ask me to open your eyes, and God is the one who can open our eyes. We can do that now. We can pray that now. We don't have to wait till this crisis is over to be a better Christian or a better person, but to call on him. What are we going to do? Help me to see you like the servant boy. The story of the servant boy is only about three verses of him. I love him because that's me, having doubts and questions and panic. But when God opens his eyes, you go, yes, Lord, you're so much bigger. I don't have to worry. You are so much, your plans are so much better than mine. Help me to trust in you. I want to pray that that's your experience as well. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, we just thank you for the way you've worked throughout history. That even in this story, the events that took place in just one day, changed the lives of Israel, changed the lives of the Assyrian army, changed the lives of a servant boy. Lord, help us as we go through life with similar kinds of struggles to realise that we aren't in control and we need you. Help us not to panic, but to cry out to you, Lord, what are we to do? Help us to see you. And Lord, we trust in your faithfulness to us we know you're there, so help us to be quick to reach out when those times come. Help us to be quick to look to you and not be overwhelmed. Lord, for some of us, that might mean some hard things are going to happen this year for you to get our attention. For some of us, we are on our knees, ready, crying out to you. So Lord, we do pray that you'd make this year a significant year in our lives, that we do see you clearly. You're a mighty, mighty God. And we can trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.